Welcome everybody to season two, episode twenty-two of the Bolt from the Blue podcast. My name's Mike Long, aka Bolt from the Blue, and with me in our virtual Skype studio, the usual suspects. We have first of all King of the Kickbacks writer and City Matters committee member Colin Savage. Colin, how are you doing? How's your week been? Well, uh, could have been better, let's say, particularly Sunday. Yeah, well, there was that. There was that thing lurking in the background. But to cheer you up, Colin, we also have City's most enthusiastic and passionate supporter in the world, the producer of the YouTube channel City Band TV, Mr. Ray. How are you doing, Ray? Um, not not so bad. I think that that, that introduction was a little bit um, uh, <laughs> over exaggerated, but I'll I'll, t- I'll take it. It's it's going to cheer me up after after Sunday's uh, results. Um, yeah, it's been um, a tough couple of days on social media. Uh, it's, it's what you expect uh, from local fans. Um, and and then uh, is it luckily or unluckily? The headlines were, t- uh, were taken, stolen away by Raheem, um, chalk slamming, um, uh, crybaby Joe Gomez. Of course, I wouldn't like to uh, take on uh, Joe Gomez in any kind of uh, physical combat, guys. Uh, but uh, we'll get to that um, at the very end. I think what we want to start off with is the latest uh, loss at Anfield. I mean, it shouldn't really have been a surprise to too many people, given the hoodoo that we come up against every time we go there. Guys, we're going to start off with the lineup. I'm just going to quote it back to you. You know it. It was Bravo, Walker, Stones, Fernandinho, Angelino, uh, Rodri, who was a surprise uh, inclusion, I thought. Go on. Bernardo Silva, uh, Kevin De Bruyne, Raheem Sterling, and uh, Sergio Aguero. Now, um, let's start off with Colin. Um, how about the lineup? Were you pleased with it? Were you satisfied that this is the team that could do a job if there was a job to be done? Well, so we had the predictions of the lineup, didn't we, on the uh, previous pod? I wasn't, um, I didn't think any, perhaps Angelino was a little bit of a surprise in there. Uh, that we did talk about the left left back spot. Um, I, I thought he might have gone with Cancelo, but uh, so, so the only real surprise was um, Angelino in there. I mean, uh, it was nice to see Rodri back, of course. I'm not. You know, should we have pitched him in straight to Anfield? But, you know, Pep thought he was fit enough. Um, there was a little bit of hope, wasn't it, before the game? I think City were trolling. Someone released a picture of Edison's shirt um, out on the um, dressing room bench, but um, unfortunately, we had um, Claudio Bravo in goal. So, um, but, but but to me that was the right lineup because you you, you had uh, Rodri in there, you had Gundogan in there, you had Fernandinho in there, and all of those three could do a job um, in front of the back four. So, uh, but but the way uh, I think we'll talk about the way perhaps Pep started the game in a minute. But uh, so, so I wasn't unhappy with the lineup. Pretty much. I mean, I I would have still preferred Mendy at left back, and we might come on to this later as to why. Mendy hasn't been handled better um, if he's your number one and Angelina's your backup to your number two and surely you want your number uh, one left back playing um, and he he just couldn't play this, this uh, game after the Atlanta game so I think he's been poorly uh, handled there I would have gone with Mares rather than Bernardo I can see why we did it but I wanted that more pragmatic approach and uh, look Pepe's still stubborn he'll still go with his look he, maybe he viewed it as a game we had to win I still say it was a game that we couldn't afford to lose 
I'd have taken a draw. I'd have taken a more pragmatic, defensive kind of display. Um, I I think I'd agree with you there, which is why I wasn't unhappy to see Bernardo in. Because you 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 could play a four five one with Bernardo in that team, and he, he covers a lot of ground, which you can't always say about Mares. I don't understand why Mares didn't come on later on, but yeah, he hasn't no, he I, hasn't come on in the last four games, so that's got to be a concern for him again. Uh, after you know, I think by the time of the first international break, he was for me. With, uh, him and Sterling were the best two uh, players in the team. But Mares was sporadic. He was playing one, being rotated uh, yeah. for Bernardo, then playing again, then being rotated. And, uh, and and I think the last couple of games he played, he weren't that that good. Having sparkled at the start, he needs a, he needed a run in the team. I'd have liked him to play. I just think he'd have been more... Uh, he, he'd have done a defensive job for us, um, possibly better than Bernardo. Uh, Paul and Savage will get on to the events of the sixth minute and all of the drama that unfolded there uh, in just a little while. But you did mention about how City uh, started the game. And so how did you feel that they started for the first five minutes? We started very much on the front foot, but I I think that was my... We've we've seen this before at Anfield, uh, and there's loads of us say it every time. Keep it tight for the first fifteen twenty minutes because you know Liverpool are going to come at you. So just keep it tight. Don't make mistakes. Um, let them have the ball if they want it. And that's why I thought with the with the lineup, I thought Gundogan would start off sitting deep alongside Rodri and would keep it very tight for that first fifteen twenty minutes. Because uh, even Kevin De Bruyne can play in that deeper role. Um, Bernardo again, Sterling, they, they do the defensive work. Let Liverpool run themselves out of it and then take start to take control of the game. But we came out very much on the front foot, which is you know perhaps another way of of, of playing Liverpool there and not you know take the initiative away from them. So uh, you know I can I can see it from that point of view. But but we always say keep it tight that first fifteen twenty minutes. Don't don't concede. Yet you know we still managed to concede twice in that first you know fifteen minutes, didn't we? Fifteen twenty minutes. But um, we started off very very well. You know we, we took the game to Liverpool. No, I, I couldn't agree more with Colin. We we started uh, brightly and uh, you know attractive football. We were, had a lot of possession. You know for the first couple of minutes, Liverpool hardly touched the ball. Um, but that kind of on one hand, part of you thinking, yeah, this is good. We, we, you know, we're taking it to them. We're having chances. We're being dominant. We're having possession. Uh, a lot of passes. Looking in control. But the way we do that is by allowing ourselves to be more open. So against weaker teams, you don't worry about this. You don't worry about losing the ball uh, and, and turnovers and whatever. But against a, a team of the quality of Liverpool, you do worry about that. So as Colin said, keep it tight. Yeah, that's what I would have preferred. We were very to have that level of control of the game. We were very open, and we were playing Liverpool, uh, you know, as if they were just an, another ordinary team. And they looked an ordinary team until they uh, broke away and scored that goal. Colin, would you um, say that a significant role in that first goal? We're not going to take any credit away from Fabinho for what was a, a pretty sweet strike, but um, is it because we broke the, the age-old maxim that you must play to the whistle? Absolutely, it is. I mean, I. I say yesterday was my deadline for King of the Kip-Ups and I wrote um, a thousand words on that. I didn't go into the game in great detail. But it's like um, the butterfly effect. So um, it's the, um, the I'm not sure, psychology, um, the guy Lorenz who came up with the chaos theory. We, we give our listeners an education. So a chaos theory is about when you get a, a linear event. So a linear event is something, a deterministic a linear event. 
is when you have, if you get the same input, you should get the same output. So a comparison, you know, if, if the ball comes to Sergio Aguero, he's six yards out and there's an unguarded un, uh, net in front of him, he will, in a linear kind of fashion, he will score every time. But then chaos theory said something, a little, one little thing can affect the whole outcome because can cause a, a knock-on effect that affects the whole outcome. So perhaps the ball hits a divot and bobbles and he misses it or he slips as he goes to kick the ball. So, so for me, that, that was a, a great example of the butterfly effect because Bernardo was through on goal. And he got a bit of a lucky rebound. It might have hit his hand. I think it was probably accidental. And PGMOL even confirmed that they weren't looking at the Bernardo handball incident. So he gets a bit lucky. The ball breaks. He tries to play it to Aguero, who's kind of stood centrally. And the ball hits Alexander-Arnold's hand. We know the handball law by now. Is the uh, hand moving towards the ball? Is the arm in a natural position? Blah, blah, blah. And as far as I could see from that replay, his hand was moving towards the ball slightly. But his arm was certainly in, in what you call an unnatural position. It was well out from his side. So naturally, you'd expect the City players to appeal for handball. But when the ball dropped, the ball was at Aguero's feet. Aguero was stood there, not looking at the ball, with his hands in the air, you know, pointing at, at his hand, shouting at the referee, not playing the ball. Age-old adage, play to the whistle. If Aguero had played that ball, you know, he might have got a shot away. He might have been able to turn and swivel, as we know we can do. He might have passed the ball. He might have held it up. Liverpool probably wouldn't have broken. And, and that, for me, was the butterfly, you know, a butterfly flapping its wings because then they did break. And Aguero is still chasing the referee. If he plays that ball when he was at his feet and he was unopposed, then that goal probably doesn't happen. I was quite annoyed about that because it, it's it's brainless. And it's not the first time I've seen City players stop when an incident like that happens. And you think, play to the whistle. You know, there was more butterfly effect type issues because uh, Mane had the ball. We were finally, we had five City players back against three Liverpool players. Cal Walker was nowhere to be seen at this point. I don't know where he was. John Stones is marking Mane in much the same way that Otamendi did on against Atalanta on Wednesday night. He gave Mane enough room in front of him to cross the ball. Mane's cross wasn't a great one. It went behind Firmino and Angelino did very well to get in front of Salah to intercept it. So at that point, there's no danger. Angelino's a bit off balance. So uh, Gundogan and Stones, I think, are near the ball. Stones is probably better place to play it because he's coming from behind and he can run onto it. Gundogan is kind of has to turn slightly and he gets a kick at it, but it's a very weak kick and it goes to Fabinho. Now, as you said, rightly, let's not take anything away from Fabinho. That was a cracking finish. I don't think Bravo, despite what Gary Neville may have said, I, I gather Gary Neville thought Bravo should have saved it. Bravo wasn't getting to that. But, you know, starting from Aguero stopping playing, when, when there was a handball, if there's anything, perhaps we look at this with, um, you know, in a one-eyed fashion, but a lot of neutrals have said to me, United fan friend rang me before and said, that was a handball. If Aguero carries on playing and then appeals afterwards, that, that goal doesn't happen. Well, I mean, I think it's natural to make the first appeal, okay? Maybe it's going a bit too far. Once the referee's not given it, there's no point continuing your appeal. Uh, get on with it. But I think it's only natural to make that appeal and, uh, as you said, uh, Michael, it's sometimes, you know, it's the reaction of the players around the incident that can have a direct effect on the referee's uh, decision. Uh, and we, we saw something similar to that with uh, Son tackling Gomez. I mean, Gomez, who broke his uh, ankle, where the ref gave a yellow card and then he changed it 
he was influenced by uh, the the severity of injury. And sometimes the referees are influenced. So if you don't claim for it, well, what chance are you going to get it? You know, the, I think there's more chance if all the players claim for it, uh, you get it. So I think it's only natural to claim for the penalty. And by that time, after you've turned around to claim to the referee, the opportunity's gone, the ball's been played and they're coming up the pitch. One thing that concerned me was throughout that game, we saw the Liverpool players throwing their bodies on the line to tackle, to block, to do whatever they could to stop the scoring. When Fabinho hit that shot, was it Rodri turned his back on that, uh, on the shot and that possibly unsighted uh, un- Bravo a little bit. But if anybody was going to stop that shot, it should have been Rodri. He should have put his body, his face, whatever, on the line. And if it hit him, it wouldn't have gone in. 99% chance that would not have gone in. It would have been deflected high and wide or something or uh, rebounded off, off his face. So I think that was very poor from Rodri. And I've, I've said it all season long. Fernandinho, for me, is still a far better holding stroke defensive midfielder than Rodri. Rodri may get better, and I think he will end up being better than Fernandinho. But he's, you know, Fernandinho's about 12 years older. He's got stacks more experience. And I think Fernandinho, having as well, he's been at City for what, six, five, six years? He'd have put his body in, in the way. He'd have blocked that. Rodri turned his back on it, and uh, we know the outcome. I just sorry. I just like to answer that. Um, I, I think Ray's got a fair point, but one of my one of my main criticisms of the Pep team, and I've said this before, so I'm not saying anything new, is that when we're in defensive situations, I we, we just don't seem to be organised, and I, I I expected a Pep team to be very organised. And as I say, we had five against three in that situation, uh, and you had I think Stones covering Mane, so we had four against two in the box, and when the ball missed Firmino, it was four against one, and we still made a hash of the clearance, and that, and we do that, and how many times have we seen that, where, you know, we're defending, and someone will take a, a completely ineffectual hack at the ball, or you'll have three players standing looking at it, instead of someone clearing it, and sometimes, You've got to put your boot through it and, and, and put it out, you know, back in the opposition half or, or out for a throw-in and relieve the pressure. But but I say that weak, um, completely weak toe poke from Gundogan, when perhaps Stones was better placed to, to welly it, was, um, again, just a symptom of stuff I've seen time and time again. Even for all the brilliant stuff we do when we've got the ball at our feet attacking, when we're defending, there was still so many things going wrong. I think, uh, Colin, uh, what we also must mention is that um, there was really not much chance of that uh, handball decision uh, being properly reviewed because shock, horror, scandal, VAR couldn't help us out even if uh, even if we wanted it to because apparently it wasn't working. That's the story. I've had I've had that confirmed today, not from the, not directly from the club, but I, 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 you know, I have reason to believe that that story may have started from the club and. and but even so, let's let's put that aside for the moment. We'll talk about that. Even so, would you not expect a competent referee and assistant to have seen that handball? We shouldn't need you shouldn't need VAR for that. Absolutely, and what gives credence to the story, of course, is that uh, PGMOL uh, discounted uh, any influence of uh, the brush to the hand that occurred with Bernardo Silva, and that kind of makes sense to me because if you're just watching it on the screen, the same as uh, some of the rest of us who are watching it on TV, you'd probably have missed that, but you definitely would not have missed the uh, the handball from um, uh, Trent. Alexander Arnold, and uh, it's just a 
these it's, it's all, like city fans were all basically rolling their eyes uh, among other emotions because you, these are the kinds of things you just don't get at Anfield and um, that was a pretty thorough summing up of, of, of what happened with that particular uh, goal but uh, over to Ray Ray about six or so minutes later here's where VAR if it had been working uh, if it had been switched on really could have helped because yeah, yeah. he was offside well there's I mean <sighs> There's a lot of going into that build-up. Once again, we'd had a good four or five minutes of play where we were dominating um, and looked enterprising and exciting. But it, this 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 goal started from once again poor judgment, lack of judgment from uh, this time it was Bernardo Silva. That's where it started. That's where the problem started. Now um, we, on, on Liverpool's right, halfway inside their own half, I think it was Trent Alexander-Arnold played a ball with his left foot. And he was passing it across the pitch, a lofted ball. Um, and Bernardo Silva was in the middle of the pitch and he tried to second guess where Trent was playing this ball. And he ran, he ran forward thinking he was going, I think, to one of the, uh, the other centre back uh, across the pitch. And it wasn't. It was going behind Bernardo Silva. So he was going one way and the ball went the other way, it went over his head. And Robertson, basically, he had oceans of space, acres of space. To, to run into to collect that ball um, and at that moment I mean we had four men at, um, across the back uh, as best we could but we had uh, Liverpool I think Mo Salah was at that point in an offside position but uh, um, when um, Robertson got the ball he, he didn't play it straight away um, so we had you could argue almost enough cover but Salah was already ahead of our defence on the far side and uh, Robertson took one touch and he crossed that ball Um he, I mean, he crossed it. He was well outside the box. Um, he was probably 15 yards outside the box. But he could see there was Salah on the far post coming through. Angelino was behind him. Um, and there was, I don't know who the other Liverpool player was, probably um, Firmino running through the middle. So he put this very early cross in. Then John Stones was coming out to uh, follow Mane and Walker was had gone out to meet Robertson. So there was that space in the middle for Firmino uh, to go uh, for. And behind him, there was Salah, who was uh, already well ahead of uh, Angelino. So the, the ball came in. Fer, uh, Fernandinho, you know, he tried his best to get um, onto that ball. He's no walker or stones. He, he couldn't stretch far enough uh, as that ball came in. And it bounced up and, and Salah headed it cleanly into the net. Bravo could do nothing. Um, and as you say, Mike, uh, you know, it, that was it. The, the VAR, you'd expect VAR to have a look. And the day before, I think someone said it took three minutes, 46 or 47 seconds to find that a Sheffield United player had been 0.6 centimetres over you know, in an offside position. And it, it, it took almost four minutes to conclude that. Whereas this game, it took what, 10 to 20 seconds and uh, the game carried on. So, you know, when you needed VAR, it wasn't there. And subsequently, you know, we, apparently we've seen a, a picture from Sky where they put their own line in, uh, which didn't look that great. It didn't look normal uh, as VAR would normally look. And people have come from different angles and said um, that uh, Salah was offside. Honestly, I, do, I don't know. I can't say one way or the other. But in that instance, you do need the VAR to be helping you to make that decision. And it was quite obvious if, if you're going to make that decision in 20 seconds, something's drastically wrong. Yeah, I, I'm going to just come in on it. One thing I want to add to the, the goal in the build-up was, 
I thought Walker was a little bit slow to close Robertson down. Maybe. Perhaps I'm being hypercritical. And I thought Fernandinho maybe got his body in the wrong position to, to cut out the cross. I mean, Salah took the header well. He placed it well. But to, to, to go back to the offside, it's going to be a bit controversial here, but, but it's what I firmly believe is that if, if you need VAR to look at a decision like that for, for two or three minutes, then I don't care what they say about off- offside being binary. If it's not clear and obvious, you shouldn't, you should be giving the benefit to the attacker. And in, in, in that situation, I'm quite, I'm quite happy to allow for the prospect that, that Mo Salah might have been a fraction offside. In the same way that I'm happy, uh, I, you know, I would have been happy, uh, if you think back to the, um, Spurs Champions League game last season, that last minute goal. Aguero, where he's got his calf in front of the, the last defender. Um, you know, is he really gaining an advantage there? Was the Sheffield United player gaining an advantage on Saturday? Was um, Raheem Sterling? Was it Raheem Sterling at West Ham? Was he gaining an advantage in that situation? And the answer is no, they aren't. And again, we've had this conversation. If you think back to that West Ham goal where it was 50-50, Sterling was deemed to be onside and we got the goal, Gabriel Jesus was in an offside position the whole of that move. Now, he was gaining an advantage, but because he was fractionally behind the ball when it was played, he was deemed to be okay. But he gained an advantage by being in that position in the first place. But to me, if, if Mo Salah's big toe was offside for that, it's not, you know, it, it's not what, it, it may be the letter of the offside law, but it's not the spirit. So for, for, for me, I don't care whether Salah was offside or not. Yeah, Salah was offside in the build-up. He was well offside. Well, he's in an offside position. Yeah. All the time. Till, he's only, he's only um, offside, of course, when the ball is played. And we know exactly. we've had the discussions, exactly. haven't we, about it's so in tight. Way, in the same way you say Jesus was gaining an advantage in the West Ham game, Salah was gaining an, an advantage, such an advantage that uh, Angelino could not get back to him. So what, Salah yeah, had yeah. three, four yards on him. And, you know... Is, you can argue is that fair or isn't it? I'm, I'm not saying it's because it's City. I'm, I'm just I'm just throwing it out there. Is it fair for Salah to gain such an advantage that Angelina could never get back to him um, because he was three or four yards ahead of him to start with? I mean, if you take that view, then Aguero was gaining an advantage against Spurs last season because he was coming back yeah. from a position where he was well offside. Now, now, for me, VAR is not the issue. It's the offside law. So, mm. you know, in, in the light of VAR, I think we have to look again at the offside law and be a little bit more subjective. Well, guys, because <coughs> between... Yeah. Between that uh, second uh, Liverpool goal and half-time, there was a good 30 minutes for City to get themselves back into it. But, um, but Ray, it was the same old story. I mean, uh, this word profligacy, wastefulness, it's just the difference between Liverpool and City. You can argue the toss about who has the best front three. They're all um, equally impressive, but my goodness, there's a difference in the cutting edge, isn't there? Absolutely. I mean, as we're, when we were calling was discussing that that uh, first goal um, and even the second one. We had more players than Liverpool in the box on the certainly on the first goal, um, but they they got the goal. And uh, I'm just going to throw it, uh, flip it over. If if the roles were reversed, if we had three players and they had five in the box, would we have scored? I'm not so sure. Um, and I, I said it all this season. You know, people have had you know people uh, uh, some laugh, some abuse me. Saying that we are uh, we are very wasteful. We are not clinical. Apart from that, Watford five shots, five goals in seventeen minutes. We're just not clinical. And 
and I, I think I said on the pod, I said, you know, um, last week it was in the Southampton one, and I said, you know, we were, you know, if you're having six or seven chances to score one goal, that's far too many. And if you're going to play the top teams, you can't afford to take that many chances. You might only get two chances in a whole game, and you have to take them. And once again, we weren't taking our chances. I mean, Aguero had one. Uh, shot in the first half where he hit it too near uh, Allison, but we had another opportunity where we were unlucky. I'll say that when, that, when uh, uh, KDB had a pass through to Angelino, it was one of those long one twos, and it just took a deflection and hit the post. Um, so we did have, you know, our own moments, but we we just couldn't convert, and we need. I felt we needed one before half time to really get back in it. Um, we went in two 0 down, and it was really the first goal in the second half was going to decide the fate of this match. And once again, I thought we started off well for about five minutes. Yeah, just going to come on to that, uh, Colin Savage. Um, we um, were expecting a big uh, response. We didn't get the the goal back before the the halftime whistle. We were expecting a big response from City in the second half. Again, looked quite bright again, but um, it, it was basically uh, Sadio Mane that killed it, killed the game in the fifty first minute, wasn't it? Well, yeah, um, and again, it's you know, it's 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 about defensive organisation for me because um, you've got Henderson out on Liverpool's right, um, Gundogan is is supposedly covering him, uh, Angelino's there, so so he's got two players in close proximity, but he kind of takes off down the touchline and Gundogan stands still. Gundogan doesn't go with him. Angelino senses the danger and he comes over, but Henderson has got enough time to to put in. Uh, a great cross to the... Uh, uh, let's give, again, Henderson credit. He's a bit of a donkey as a player, but that was a damn fine cross. And, and when you look at some of our crosses, uh, when you look at Robertson's one for Salah for the second goal, you look at Henderson's to Mane for that third goal. Have we ever put a cross like that in, you know, recently? Um, so he's got he's got plenty of time, because Angelino's still coming in, to put a pinpoint cross over to the far post. And then... Um, I watched this goal a few times, and I watched the build-up, and Kyle Walker's just um, in front of the penalty, just a bit nearer to the goal of the penalty spot, but towards the edge of the six-yard box, if you can picture that. So he's about, what's the penalty spot, 12 yards away. He's about 10 yards from goal, about two yards uh, from the edge of the six-yard box. And you look at the picture, Manet's nowhere near, nowhere in sight in that picture. So Kyle Walker's got to be looking behind him and seeing what's happening, but he's not. As that ball comes in, Manet's still not in the picture. Kyle Walker's moving towards the ball. So by the time the ball gets gets there, uh, Kyle Walker's almost um, kind of perpendicular to the line of the penalty spot and, and, and fairly central. Uh, and Manet's got all the time in the world to run behind him. Kyle Walker then suddenly become aware of him. But Manet gets the header and, and he scores. But as I say, Mane wasn't in the picture, the TV picture that I saw when that ball goes across. And Walker is in the picture, he's ball watching, he runs towards the ball rather than um, cover the, the run of Mane. And maybe maybe Bravo could have done a bit better with that one, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I think he's a little bit in no man's land when the ball comes over and he's not in a good position when Mane gets the header. But again, you've got two or three defensive mistakes there. You've got Gundogan who doesn't go with the runner, Henderson. Um, Angelino, perhaps, I, I wouldn't give him much blame for this, but perhaps he should have been a bit tighter anticipating the run because Gundogan's got the inside track covered. 
So if Henderson comes inside, Gundogan's got him covered. Angelino perhaps should have anticipated the run down the touchline. He was a bit slow to do so. A Walker certainly should have been far more aware of where Mane was. So again, it's the same, the same theme again. Oh, yeah, we're not as organised as we should be defensively, as the good teams would be. Can I come to Angelino? A little bit of defence for Angelino. I, I'm, not, I yeah, I'm think, not blaming him. No, I, I don't. I I think the reason he went late to try and get to Henderson was because Gundogan was there. Angelino well, was yeah. marking Firmino, and Gundogan starts to go with uh, Henderson, and then he just give up. It's one of the, he put a half-hearted um, leg out, and then I mean, then uh, Henderson was gone. At that point, Angelino realizes that Gundogan's you know, sold himself and Henderson's gone. Then Angelina comes across. Now, he couldn't go earlier because Firmino was, would have nicked him behind him. So there was a risk, risk of that. So Angelina did go for it. But, uh, but you're right. When, when Henderson put that, it was a great cross. When he put that cross in, we had four men in the box and Liverpool had two, two men to our four. Okay. Now we had, I think, Fernandinho on the edge of the six yard box on the, on the corner. Rodri, um, Near Salah was 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 lurking there, uh, about twelve yards out on the edge of the from um, in the line with the um, six yard box, and Rodri was near him. Stones had taken a look to see what was going on uh, just before the cross came in, and he kept his position because there was, Walker only had one man to cover, and that was Mane. So Stones was going to mark Salah if Rodri or Fernandinho didn't. Stones would have made made a beeline for Salah if the ball had come there. So Walker, he was watching the ball, okay? Part of me says, okay, he's watching the ball, and that's okay, but he's got to be aware of what is doing. So he, maybe he needs to be, to be a bit more side-on. He knows Stones and Rodri have got Salah. That's not his man. His focus has to be on the man who's free, the only man who can affect that game in the five-yard, ten-yard, Within five yards of Walker is Mane. So he should be watching what's going on, looking what Mane is doing and blocking him or getting to that ball. And he didn't. And we've seen this before. We've seen it for England where he, he, I think he was playing centre-back, one of the uh, three centre-backs. He didn't open his body enough to see what was going on behind him and look at the, where the ball was coming from. And he did it again this time. Mane got a good header, but he hit it across back towards uh, Bravo. You could argue maybe Bravo could have saved. He needed a very strong wrist to have saved that. Maybe his at his age, his wrists aren't as strong as uh, someone like Edison. But you know, once again, I'm not going to um, put too much blame in, in Bravo's direction. But really, for me, it was Gundogan and Walker. Mostly, I'll blame Walker because he should have been marking his man. That's the only thing he had to do. That was game over, but it wasn't uh, the end of uh, the eventfulness uh, in the remaining uh, sort of thirty or forty minutes. Colin, there was a wonderful piece of history on it. From uh, from Pep, and uh, we've been doing the uh, the rounds on Twitter. Uh, that's been you, you know isolated and turned into a meme. It was an extraordinary display of uh, histrionics from uh, uh, Pep. Uh, well, it was the second handball incident uh, where, uh, let me check my notes, was it KDB? Sterling put it in. Sterling, yeah. Sterling put it in. Yeah, um, and the ball hit um, Robertson on the hand this time. Now, Trent, Trent, Trent Alexander-Arnold. No, I thought it was, was Robertson. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It hit one of the Liverpool fullbacks. Now, this was this. I think, uh, um, again, uh, I'm not defending you know Liverpool here, but 
I don't think that was a handball because um, he's got his hand straight down by his side, almost as he's moving away behind his back. So yes, it's hit him on the it's hit him on the hand, but but it, it's close, and I don't think his arms are in a natural position. But I, I understand why Pep was appealing for it, but for me, it wasn't a handball. Well, I understand why Pep appealed because we were three. Obviously, we were three one down. I can't yeah. remember. Was it ten minutes to go? This would have really caused back into the game, and I actually felt Liverpool were, had been defending deeper. Okay, maybe they they dropped down a gear, they're conserving energy, but they were defending deeper, and we were having more pressure because of that. Uh, and um, yeah, I agree, Colin. That he, Trent Alexander Arnold was too close to Sterling for that. It's it's interesting to see that the Premier League came out and said about the first penalty incident that the ball hit um, Robertson too quickly. No, no tr- sorry, Trent. But the first one, it it was it had it. You know, he, he didn't have time to move um, it was, uh, it his doesn't arm. Matter. Well, it, no, you, well, in, in the Champions League final, the first minute, who was it? Mane hit oh, yeah. the ball at Sissoko. Didn't even, I don't yeah. think he even hit his, hat, his arm. It was his armpit. It was his chest or his armpit around the shoulder area yeah. or a bit lower. And he was right next to him. He was right well, next to him. And that was a penalty. So yeah. I, I'm not having that. I'm not having that at no, all. No, but no, I don't. I don't agree with them. But yeah. this is what this is a, a shoddy excuse that said, he yeah. didn't have time. But as Richard Key said, he didn't. He had enough time to move his arm towards the ball yeah. rather than away. So That's right. they're saying he didn't have time to move his arm away. But he had. To, but the, the thing is, and this is what really brasses me off, um, is they take us for fools. They think we're stupid and that we're just going to keep accepting. Um, accepting them corrupting football because that's what it is this is not um, you know I can accept mistakes but I I can't accept lies blatant lies and if you're lying back the game you, you might as well be cheating you might as well cheat yeah, I, I, I think that's that's the thing. Again, as my United supporting friend said, if they came out and said, you know, we made a mistake with that one, we were wrong. You, it wouldn't make you feel any wouldn't make you feel any better as a City fan. But at least you'd know that they saw the incident in the right way, e- even if it was retrospectively. Because let's be honest, you know, they, they do these retrospective or they did these retrospective red cards. So at least if they said, you know, that was handball, that was handball, we got it wrong, um, you'd you think, well, at least the playing by, you know, they understand the law. When they, as Ray rightly said, when they come out and tell us a pack of easily, uh, you know, a, a pack of lies that you easily see through, then that's when you, st- that makes you even more annoyed. There was that game, there was that, sorry, that game early in the season, and there was a penalty claim, and the referee said, oh, I saw the incident. Was it the Rodri when they had his arms around him? Yeah. But there was well, it was one, Michael Oliver um, again, wasn't it? Yeah, and he said, now, the Premier League or PGMOL said he saw the incident and once he's seen it and not given it, it then you know, the, the bar is high for VAR to uh, overrule his decision. Okay, But he hadn't seen it. I think Sky said they you know, did this virtual reality to where he was looking and he wasn't looking at um, what was going on. It was that Rod- I think it must be that Rodri incident. He wasn't looking at what was going on. He was looking elsewhere. So they blatantly lied to us. There's, there's no way... You can't call it anything else. And if you're lying, you know, I say you're corrupting football. You're cheating. Um, you know, yeah. it's ridiculous. I'm not sure if I've told this story before on the pod. I've certainly written about it. I've certainly posted about it on social media. If we go back a few years, that famous incident with Adebayor scoring against Arsenal, his old club, and then running the length of the pitch to celebrate from the Arsenal fans. And he got booked for that. And rightly so. I mean, you know, uh, inciting the opposition fans is a bookable offence. So um, that, that's what Mark Hughes was told. And you, you see the pictures of Mark Hughes being told by, I think it might be Mike Dean, who was the fourth official, why he's been booked. 
and uh, Mark Hughes sort of grins ruefully and, and nods. I was at a meeting at City, um, so that was on the Saturday, wasn't it? It was the late Saturday game, early in the season. I was at a, a Points of Blue meeting at City a couple of days later, uh, Tuesday, and um, Vicky Kloss chaired for the club. She was absolutely fuming. And she's a very, uh, if anyone knows Vicky, not a very relaxed character normally. She was absolutely fuming. She had to tell us. Um, Plattenberg had been told to amend his report. Because the FA wanted to charge Adebayor. Well, it was the Van Persie incident as well, which the referee hadn't seen on the TV pictures again, showed he was staring straight at it. But they wanted to charge him, uh, issue a retrospective charge for the, uh, for the celebration. Well, of course, because he'd been booked for it, they couldn't, you can't charge, retrospectively charge a player for events they'd been disciplined for. So they got Plattenberg to alter his report to say he hadn't been charged with cele- the celebration, he'd been charged with time-wasting. Now, I timed that run in back into his own half, and I compared it to Edin Dzeko's in the QPR game. And Adebayor beat Edin Dzeko by six seconds, getting back into his own half. So how that was time-wasting, I do not know. But the FA wanted a result, so they, they got Plattenberg, they canard with Plattenberg to tell a lie. And I've heard, had confirmed another, probably best I don't talk about it um, on here, but I've had another incident, I've heard of another incident where a referee has told a blatant lie uh, and been promised a big game in return for that. And of course, Mark Halswick came out and said he pressure was put on, on him to alter his to say he'd seen something he hadn't or he hadn't seen something he, he had. So, yeah, that, they've had a lot of practice of lying. The chance of catching all three that, that have got that nine point lead. Liverpool's still got to come to the Etihad. If we, if we win that game, it's a six point gap. Liverpool are going to Qatar for the Club World Cup. So, uh, and they're going in December, which is a traditionally congested part of the season anyway. So they're going to miss, they're going to miss a lot of games, I think. And they're going to have to make those games up. And if they get to the latter stage of the Champions League, it's going to be harder to fit those games in. Again, they might suffer a couple of key injuries. Obviously, you don't hope that, but you know, they have been very lucky in that score. We've been unlucky. But we've still got all those players. We've got Sane, we've got Laporte, we've got David Silva. Uh, Rodri's just coming back. Who else we're missing? You know, Mendy's still not quite there, is he? Um, we talked about tactical reasons, but we don't really know why he was left. Well, Pep said he was injured. Was he injured back. again? Well, oh. he's not injured. Can't play after he's played. So he, right. he, he was, at, but he's gone off with the national team, so he's not injured, but he, he has to be managed. It, he can't it, play. It, it's, a, it's a, it's a Ludley King type situation, yeah. is it? Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, as I said earlier, what got me, sorry to interject, um, uh, but what, why on earth was, um, why on earth wasn't he rested for the Atlanta game? Why on earth, know. you know, and a game that we didn't really need to win. I mean, I mean I'll, I'll mention it about Edison. Why on earth was Edison playing? You know, we should have well, rested. I, I, I don't think you rest keepers. You know, I, 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 I understand I that. I don't, I, understand. I don't buy that. I don't buy but that certainly argument, Mendy, to be honest. Maybe I'm pushing it with Edison, but certainly Mendy um, should have been rested. If, if we knew he could only play one of the two games, then well, for me, he should have been rested. It depends. If you think you're going to play him at Liverpool, then yes, he should have been rested. But if you think, well, actually, I'm not going to play Mendy because he's the wrong fullback. Um, well, so he didn't. So, but Zinchenko was still to come back. The press, press well. conference said that, that he couldn't play the second game because he because he's he's not ready for the second game. Um, but he's not injured. Um, and if he knows that, then manage it. I'm I'm sorry, but if you if if Mendy's your number one, 
and he wanted to play against Liverpool. I don't know. So maybe he'd already decided that he wasn't going to play against Liverpool. Then maybe you're right. Well, yeah, decided yeah, he's not going to play against Liverpool. It, Pep can be as, as grumpy as he wants about the situation, but he's made that call himself. So I've got no sympathy for him for that. If he's decided Mendy's going to play uh, uh, in, uh, against Atlanta and not Liverpool, then, then don't, don't, don't cry about it afterwards. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Couldn't agree more. So, yeah, it's... Um... You know, it's not over yet because, say, I think for me the crucial game is Chelsea. Um, yeah. Week on Saturday because uh, A is at home. If we if we lose that, then we're in trouble. I think if we lose that, it's gone. Yeah, I, I suspect so. So um, if we win that, uh, the situation you know doesn't look quite so bad. So 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 you know if we beat Liverpool at the Etihad that we did last season, it's six points. Liverpool have got a lot of fixtures to come. We've got a lot of players to come back from injury. I, I, I'm not certainly not giving hope. I'm not giving up hope just yet because, as you say, we, we could still get over 100 points. Potentially, I don't think we will, of course, but we could still get over 100 points. That's very optimistic. Uh, guys, let's just finish off with uh, one thing as we bring this particular podcast to an end. And that is uh, what we almost started off with, but I just asked us to hold off on it to the end. Uh, news about Ratton Sterling, Ray. What's all this yeah. about? Now, we saw there was a little bit of argy-bargy between him and uh, Joe Gomez. Um, yeah, well, what happened? Did, look, in the Liverpool game, there's a lot of... Every time we go to Anfield, there's always a niggle, niggles, niggly tackles, pushers. Uh, on on uh, Sterling because they know it gets to him. Okay, so that's why they do. They know it gets to him. They know it has an effect. So this is why the Liverpool fans boo him and jeer him and gesticulate and sometimes go a little bit too far uh, with some of their comments. This is why the Liverpool players sometimes leave one in or push him or because they know he's one of our be- best players and they know it works. And this that's why they've done it for whatever three or four seasons. Um, and they'll keep doing it because they know if it's effective. If it disturbs Sterling and he's not playing at you know not even a half his normal level, they'll keep on doing it uh, until it has no effect. And uh, I don't th- I think every time he goes there, it will have an effect. So that's the starting point. He, there's a flare up with Gomez. Sterling felt, may have felt he was a little bit too uh, overly physical with him, and uh, apparently he you know he swore at him and 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 but it, but it was. Normal, I think, normal run-of-the-mill uh, footballing incident on the pitch. But apparently what happened yesterday at uh, St. George's Park, Gomez was already there, Sterling came. And basically, from the information we've been given so far, and I feel that's very in- incomplete information, Raheem Sterling had a go at Gomez, <laughs> said some, you know, uh, I can't remember what the, the comment was supposed to be, uh, you know, but... And then, and then Raheem lost his cool. And this is from what uh, Gareth Southgate said, you know, and Raheem's apologised for it. But Gareth Southgate said Raheem, you know, went too far, but Gomez didn't. So the uh, outcome is Raheem has uh, excluded from uh, the team for Thursday, which is the 1,000th England game. Huge, hugely significant game that I'm pretty sure he would have liked to have played in. It's also been revealed that the team agreed with this or they wanted this, which, you know, a lot of things I'm left uncomfortable, you know, because you know, if it was so, something so severe, so something so serious that Raheem had done, then you'd expect him to be sent home. If it was minor, which I think it was, it should have been dealt with in-house, brushed under the carpet, not brushed under the carpet, but dealt with in-house, get the two guys together, get them to shake hands, kiss and make up or whatever. If you want to tell the media, you tell them something very minor, guys have shook hands, apologised, no, no more questions, that's it, put it to bed. There's lots of things that worry me. The, the fact that the other players were involved in this decision, surely that's going to really, Raheem, that 
peers, his teammates, his mates were party to this decision. Um, it's got, I think, fans in general that I feel Southgate has sat on the fence in this. He hasn't been decisive one way or the other. And he's le- he's letting it fester. It's not going to be put to bed because you can bet that Sterling still it rankles with him. When he's going to see that thousandth game on Thursday and his teammates are, are out there and he should be, it's going to hurt him. And for me, there's another question. Who actually leaked all this to the media? Which England player or staff mm. member leaked this? And uh, Southgate in his press conferences has said, you know, they, they know it goes on. So who is it? Who is stabbing England in the back? You know, we know the media do it. We know they've always done it. Just before a World Cup, there's always some story coming out, some some salacious gossip or or whatever, or a sting. The, the media are always at it to, to you know uh, to, to to cause a problem in the England camp. We still allow those same media organisations to report on England and attend uh, press conferences. But I'd like to know who leaked, told the media, and who caused. I think has probably thrown a little bit of oil onto the onto the flames because I think this should really have been dealt with as a minor incident in-house, kiss and make up and yeah, Raheem plays the next game. Colin, you can just imagine, can't you, people like Terry Butcher and Tony Adams and uh, Brian Robson wondering just what on earth is going on with this sissified mummy's boy generation that are occupying the places that they used to honour in that England team. Yeah. Well, I mean, Ray made a uh, really good set of points there. And I think, um, for me, the key takeaways from that are uh, it should have been dealt with in-house. How the hell did it get out? Why the hell did Southgate make the decision he... Because uh, apparently Sterling was, had been sent home initially uh, and was driving to back up to the northwest from St. George's Park. And he got a call from Southgate to come back because the players had asked for him to come back. Now, that would have been me. I'd have switched my phone off or I wouldn't have answered it and kept on going. The, the whole thing, it, it's interesting... When Ray said, how did it get leaked? The journalists who seem to have got the first bit of the story, Paul Joyce, who is uh, very much in the Liverpool camp. So the suspicion has to be it's come from Liverpool, a Liverpool player or a Liverpool player. As Liverpool players, they've talked to their PR guys and the PR guys have, have put it out in the media. But that, that still doesn't, exp- you know, stories get out and, and the FA comment on them and they say, well, no comment or, yeah, there was, it was racist. There was a little bit of a spat in training, but it's all sorted out. Because apparently Sterling and Gomez has sorted it out between them. And another interesting bit of the story is that Southgate didn't witness it, but Harry Kane did. And it was Harry Kane who told Southgate about it. So I think, you know, Sterling was, was clearly still, was still a little hurting after Sunday. And, and good on him, you know. Someone posted something on uh, Twitter I saw about uh, Kevin De Bruyne having a, uh, a friendly chat with Mohamed Salah. Now, of course, they used to play together. You know, should should Kevin De Bruyne be holding Mohamed Salah by the throat, uh, uh, you know, and giving him all sorts of shit? Well, you know, it, it's, it's a bit like resting. You know, these guys may well be friends, good friends off the field. So, you know, what the, the game is, they may kick each other all over the field for 90 minutes, but they're friends eventually. So, so you know, once the game is over, once things have calmed down, let them go back to being friends. Sterling was clearly still smarting after Sunday. And, and I think there is something about, you know, playing at Anfield and the, and the way they do get at him, as, as Ray said, that, that's, that, that sits with him quite badly. Um, you, in one way, you can say that's great because he, he cares. He shows he cares. Whereas, you know, the Kevin De Bruyne talking to Mohamed Salah, the suspicion is always that they don't, you know, the player doesn't care. It's just, um, you know, it's just a, a, a job to them. So, so Sterling obviously cared. Was he right to do what he did? Probably not. Unless Gomez says something to him first. No, he probably wasn't right to do what he did. But they sorted it out between them. Uh, um, 
and, and and that should have been the end of it. So so Gareth Southgate thinks he's acted strongly, but he's act, in fact has acted very weakly. And, and there's all these stories about the players demanded that Sterling be sanctioned, and then the players demanded he, he be brought back. So who's telling the truth here? What, 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 what role has the players have the players played in this? That should be the end of it, and I think for us, this should also be the end of it on our podcast as well. We've got uh, Chelsea to look forward to. We've got a part two of the Francis Lee years to look forward to in the in international break. But I think, guys, you know, the, the England players should just take us as an example and learn from us. I mean, Colin Ray and I can kick lumps out of each other on every pod, but we're all mates when it's over and done. With. That's what you think. Well, but guys, we are, we are, we are, we are, we are, we are. But Colin and Ray and I have got work to do in the international break. We'll be bringing you certainly one more podcast in terms of the next segment in the Francis Lee story. But until then, let's just say cheerio to the two guys until you hear from us again. So thank you very much, Ray, for coming on. Oh, it's a pleasure as always. It's always good fun chatting with you two guys. It broadens my international horizons to chat with you Mike <laughs> and also we have Colin Savage Colin thank you so much for your perspective and for coming on to this I don't know how we found so much to talk about really it's uh, you know nothing much has happened has it fairly eventful few days so but we, we, we blathered on we blathered on and we like to hope that you guys uh, out there uh, like to hear us blathering on and it seems that you do so as long as you keep supporting us we'll keep doing it so we'll leave it there for now guys and finish off in the same way that we always do we hope that you enjoy one on us and that you will follow the mantra of up the blues to the end guys to the end it's finished at Sunderland Manchester United have done all they can that really goes enough for three points Manchester City are still alive here Balotelli and Quinn